You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to be teaching this morning about the poor. Can I just say before I do start, I really encourage you. I've been doing the Community Bible Reading Journal. been absolutely loving it. Please come along this afternoon. We will have a great time. It'll be 6.30 upstairs. The poor. Four weeks. We're going to look at this. The poor and our response. We're going to look at the church, the nation, the nations, and the environment. I think this is a massive issue for us in London. I've got a picture of London Fashion Week. This is some students that were seen in London Fashion Week. See, three young, attractive girls, and then the guy literally just hidden in the corner. The reality is that there is poverty all around us. They reckon 27% of Londoners are living in poverty after they've paid for housing. They reckon that 50% of London's wealth is held by the top 10% of London's population. They reckon that 58% of Londoners in poverty are in work. So it's called the working poor, 1.3 million in London, are in poverty and in work. What are we going to say? What's God going to say to us about this whole topic? I know we don't often do this, but I'd love it if you could take one hand and stick it on your head. I'd love it if you take the other hand and just stick it on your heart. Father, we pray you'd speak to our heads, that we would see clearly and think differently. But God, I pray as well in this series that you would speak to our hearts I pray that we won't just go through four weeks and think, oh, I've not read that before. That's really interesting. I pray, God, that our hearts will be changed, that we will live differently. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Poverty is a massive national issue. It's an international issue. I'm setting up this whole series. Do you know what Europe spends on ice cream would provide enough water and sanitation for the whole world? what we spend on ice cream, the basic cost of health and nutrition for the entire planet is $13 billion, according to the United Nations. $13 billion. Do you know, globally, we spend $780 billion every year just on the military. That's 60 times what is required for basic health and nutrition for the entire world. Joseph Roundtree Foundation, this was actually started by a Quaker, a Christian guy. They're an independent organization working to inspire social change through research, policy, and practice. Say this, poverty affects millions of people in the UK. Poverty means not being able to heat your home. (laughs) Not that you want to do that today. Pay your rent or buy the essentials for your children. It means waking up every day facing insecurity, uncertainty, and impossible decisions about money. It means facing marginalization and even discrimination because of your financial circumstances. The constant stress it causes can lead to problems that deprive people of the chance to play a full part in society. Poverty. There are so many different factors to poverty. It could be a lack of resource. You don't have enough money. It could be physical weakness. You are not able to work. It could be isolation. You just feel disconnected. It could be powerlessness. 
It could be you are vulnerable. It could be cultural. There are certain societies where women are not educated. It could be hopelessness. You've been knocked back so many times, there's no motivation. It's expressed in so many different ways. I believe you can have financial poverty, you can have emotional poverty, you can have mental poverty, you could have relational poverty. Theresa May, our Prime Minister, appointed the world's first loneliness minister this year. It was in April. She said this, far too many people... For far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. Loneliness. Most Londoners, wealth is not our problem. Isolation is. They reckon across the country there's 200,000 retired folk in the UK that have not had a meaningful conversation in the last month. They reckon 85% of disabled people between the age of 16 and 34 say they feel lonely. Nine million British folk declare they are often or always lonely. Mother Teresa, who we know we think about as working in a slum in India, said loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. It could be this morning you're sat next to someone who's got some designer clothes on and is struggling with the poverty of loneliness. I've read many books on this. I'm sure they come out. Um, not that I'm, this is the only one I'm preaching in this series, so I'm trying to pack it all in today. Tim Chester has written this book. He says, poverty is about marginalization vulnerability, isolation, and exclusion. The most important thing that the church can do is to be the church, to be a place where people find welcome and belonging. You see, our faith must shape our lifestyle. What it can't be is, oh, we come and we have you know, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, we sing a few songs, and then we just all walk out the door and we're exactly the same. James, I'm now getting to the Bible. James says this, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. Somebody once joked, the secret to happiness is insensitivity. We get caught in our own bubble and we're insensitive to the needs of those around us. Do we look the other way? Are we really the young girls in the picture? That poverty is right next to us, but actually we're just looking at the camera. James says this in James 1, religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you know, in the Bible... God says 40 times, I'm concerned about the orphan and the widow. That is more times than tithing. 
and yet we teach you about tithing all the time. It is more times than communion, and yet we break bread every Sunday. So my first point is this. Why should we be concerned about the poor? Because of the God that we follow. It says in Psalms, Psalms 146, this helps us understand the character of God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. I believe that social involvement is rooted in the character of God. And so if we understand something about God, we care about the poor. God is concerned for the poor. He's the creator. He's the God of justice. He expects us to do the same. Proverbs, which is a book of principles, says this, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I heard a guy earlier this year, Brian Stevenson, a lawyer from the States, who spoke. He's written a book, Just Mercy, well worth reading. Here's a guy who's defended the cause of the weak, basically those on death row. The prophets of the Old Testament kept saying, come on, if you don't look after the poor, God is not going to listen to your prayers. You see, Jesus, when he summed up the whole of the law, what did he say? He said, love God and love your neighbor. So if we understand something of God, then surely we'd be caught up in the poor. It's the character of God. It is also the reign of God. You see, in Eden, God's reign brought freedom and prosperity. It brought relationship and it brought abundance. And then what happened is they said, God, we don't want to go your way. We go our own way. And instead came selfishness conflict and suffering. And so when we bring the reign of God to a place, we would expect there to be blessing and restoration. I believe it's the grace of God. You see, the reality is God doesn't treat us as we deserve. He doesn't go down the list and say, Victor, have you been a good boy this week? Mm, I don't know, actually. No, actually, he says, I love you because I love you because I love you. And when we understand the grace of God to us, it would overflow to other people. So when we truly understand God's love for us, we cannot help but let it out to others. We have received so much. Tim Chester, I quote him again, this British pastor and author, if churches become so preoccupied with their religion that they ignore the needs of the poor, they're in danger of becoming more like the Pharisees than like Jesus. And yet we are called to be like Jesus. The Pharisees, the the religious, the devout, but actually they lost compassion for the people. Why should we have care for the poor? Because I think we bring the presence of God. You see, if we make wealth our idol, then people fall into poverty. If we make success our idol, then people feel inadequate. If we make power our idol, then people feel powerless. But if we make God our idol, people can feel loved and included. 
You see, there's something about God that, that should challenge us. This is the God that we follow. It's not just, is it politically correct? This is God. John Owen, he was a Puritan. He was a church leader in the 1600s. He lived here in Ealing, died here actually in Ealing. He said this, a little bit old English, churches and their members ought to think of caring for the poor as an eminent grace and an excellent duty. For Christ is glorified and the gospel is honoured when we care for the poor. Many people consider it unspiritual or something that should be spontaneous rather than organised. Many think it should not be central to the work of the church. But in fact, it is one of the priorities of Christian communities because it is the main way we show the gospel of grace and love. So we've received and we understand so much about God. Therefore, my second point is what about the church? The church. I've got seven points on this, so I am going to fly. Seven practical points about the church and the church being one that cares. Point number one, we are called to care. If you look at the description of the church in Acts, Acts 4... It'll come up on there behind me. I'm not going to read it all. But it says in verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. This was a description of the church in the New Testament. And they said, look, if somebody's got some need, one person said, it's all right. I'll go and sell my second home. I'll go and sell a a field. I will provide for the church. And so the church should be a place where we care for one another. My focus today, we're looking at four areas, is the church. So don't say to me, oh, but what about Ealing? Or what about the world? Or what? You come back next week and you find out all those answers. Today, my challenge is how do we apply the God that we serve and the family that we build? The first is this we're called to care for one another. Chris, some of you know, started the uh, food bank um, for Ealing. And uh, I love the fact that people have been giving generously in the bucket and have to keep emptying it. Can I just say this? I hope we never, ever send anyone from our church to the food bank. We don't give out vouchers for the food bank here. Because if you need food, you don't go to an organization, you come to the family. You see, the picture of the church is we're the ones that care. And so if you, honestly, you think, golly, I'm getting three days of food, then I'd love you to turn to somebody and us think, look, we're going to get you three days worth of food. Because the church is a place that cares. Tim Keller, the American pastor and theologian, says this, the ministry of the word and deed are distinct but never separate. You cannot say, look, I'm so caught up in this journal, which we're all going to love because we're going to be there this afternoon. We're going to get more and more out of the word. We cannot do that and not be those that care about the poor. It's got to go hand in hand. We see it and we sort it in the family. Point number two, a great quality is seen in Scripture about those that give to the poor. I could give many examples, but the one I'm just going to refer to comes up on the screen in Acts chapter 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. In Acts chapter 10, you could read the same about Cornelius. It came up before God. He was generous to the poor. I believe it's a great quality to have. 
John Wesley, who started the Methodist church, said this, put yourself in the place of every poor man and deal with them as you would God deal with you. Oh, wow, God, if that was me, I'd, I'd ask you to be gracious. Then he says, go and be like that to others. Number three, we are to aim for a diverse church and make sure that all are welcomed There is no implicit hidden message. In James, I go back to James because he was very direct on this. He says, my brothers and sisters, suppose in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat, But say to the poor man, stand at the back. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves? We are not to judge within the family. I think this is really hard. Because the reality is God unites us together, but some people have got more money than others. And it's so easy to think, well, that's your third holiday this year, and I've not had one for five years. We have to watch our heart. The danger is we live in a society where we now divide the poor into the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. We like to judge and make categories. The danger is we can do that in the church. Point number four, the church and the poor. Care for the local church and the worldwide church. It says in Romans, for Macedonia and Acacia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So what they was, it was almost saying was actually, we want to be generous to God's people wherever they are. That is part of us expressing generosity and looking after the poor in the family. So, you know, let's be frank. We could say, oh, well, there's, there's money here. Well, are there other churches where we should be giving some of our money? Number five. It is a most basic command. There was a difference of opinion between Peter and Paul and in some of the early church. And Paul writes about it in Galatians 2. He says this, all they asked we should do is to remember the poor. I thought it was fascinating, isn't it? It's almost like, actually, we're not totally sure how these things are going to work out. What you must do is remember the poor. Whether you celebrate in this way or whether you keep that kind, remember the poor. He said, the very thing I was eager to do. And it's almost like he's writing and saying, look, this is not an optional extra. This is not, I'll just tack it on once you feel you've got yourselves going. Randy Elkhorn, he's an American author. He's written a book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, says this. Caring for the poor and helpless is so basic to the Christian faith that those who don't do it aren't considered true Christians. I'll just let that one hang for a moment. Number six, all are to be involved. So even this morning, the reality is that in the church, you could be sat here this morning and say, actually, Pete, I feel I am poor here today. And actually, you might think, I don't think this church has cared enough. Well, then number six is for you. Because it doesn't say come with a victim mentality. It comes with a contributor mentality. I would argue that from Mark 12. Jesus, when he watches the offering... He sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put in and watched the crowd. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. 
Jesus called his disciples and said, I tell you, this woman has put in more than everything else. What did he say? He said, she's got something to contribute. He didn't say, look, she's so poor, she shouldn't be doing that. So whatever, you, whatever you've got, you've got something to contribute. Let's not sit back and think somebody else needs to solve the poor in our church. My last point about the church. In Matthew 25, when Jesus returns and he's dividing the sheep and the goats, and I wish I could just unpack this one parable, but I'm trying to give a teaching on it. The sheep are welcome to Jesus, the goats not. The thing that I find really interesting, and so often we forget, is that we think it's about what they've done. Because we make Christianity about what we've done. But actually, it's what they hadn't done they were judged on. And so sometimes our danger, even with the poor, is that we could come and think, oh, you know what? I have put something in the food bank. I have invited somebody around for lunch. Whereas actually Jesus came and said, but you haven't done something I asked you to do. Tertullian, he was one of the early church fathers from Tunisia. He died in AD 240. He says this, it is our care of the helpless our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say. See how they love one another. So I've tried to say this is what poverty is. I've tried to say this is who our God is. And I've tried to say, look, this is what the church should be like. How do I make it as practical as I possibly can? I thought of the word act. Act. So my first practical thing to us is what is our attitude when it comes to the poor? Contentment is found not in getting more, but in wanting less. Contentment is found not in getting more, but wanting less. So often we are not in a place to give to the poor because we're not content, because we're always following the advertiser's dream that if I just got that, I'd be happy. And so maybe our attitude needs to be, God, I'm so content with what you've already given me. Our attitude is genuinely, how can we be really, really thankful? I was listening to a... A testimony. This guy and his wife, a Christian leader, he'd gone on holiday, and on holiday, his wife had fallen down and broken her leg, and they were somewhere in Europe, and she sat in this hospital, and she starts feeling miserable. Oh, it's the first day of our holiday, and oh, we're just ready for a break, and all that. And she thought, you know what? I'm going to thank God. So she thanked God. Thank you, God. I've still got a leg. Thank you, God. There's a hospital I can go to. Thank you, I've got a husband who's actually going to come and help me. I thank you that my, my kids... And she said, it totally changed the place just by thanking God. And I think actually our attitude, even when it comes to this whole thing of money and who do we help or time and how do we give, do we come with thankfulness? The third attitude that I guess I'd like to stir us with is how do we foster the attitude of giving and not getting? The barbecue season. You think, oh, I'm not sure if I want a barbecue. I'm not sure, you know, I'm vegetarian. Why would I go to a barbecue? Because they do some lovely roasted peppers. No, it's got nothing to do with the food. 
You go to this because you want to give to somebody. You go to this because there's somebody lonely in the church and you can be a friend and you can talk because there's a poverty of isolation. It's a bit like a meetup. Do you go to a meetup because you think, oh golly, they're bang on about them at the front? Or do you go because you think, you know what, I'm going to give to something. I'm going to connect it. I'm going to play my part here. Our attitude is not one of what can I take? What does this do for me? Surely it's how can I give? C. How do you get creative? I want to challenge us to be creative. I know that somebody gave money to somebody in the church. Why do I know that? Because they did it anonymously through the office. They said, oh, look, we'd like this money to go to somebody. Don't tell them who it's from. I know other people that they just put cash in an envelope. Hasn't always got to be money. It could be that you think, you know what? I'll I'll go and babysit for that couple that have got four kids under the age of six because they would just love a bit of time out. You know what? I'm going to go and meet someone in the city and take them for a coffee just to give a break. What is it that we could creatively... I was thinking about this. We're going to have a new set of meetups in September. Wouldn't it be great just to have this one meetup where all you did is you thought, you know what, we're just going to bless somebody, but we're not going to tell them who it's from. So we're going to gather and we're going to pray and we're going to make up some ideas. And do you know, we're just going to be like blessing agents throughout the church you know what I'm saying have you been done I sort of thought wouldn't it be great to have a sort of tsunami of love there's this explosion out in the ocean of God's grace to us and it just forms this massive wave and people are just knocked backwards and say, I can't get over the love why couldn't we have something creative like that T if you're a parent you know this love is spelt T-I-M-E. How do we invest time in this? It could be that you go along on the, on the cap money course because actually you think, man alive, I can't give any money away because actually I'm not in a good place. You might get your own finances sorted out. It could be that you invest time in other people. It could be that you invite people around that you know they'll never invite you back. But it's not about that. You see, if we've understood who God is and the role of the church, this is why we're caught up in it. Tim Keller says this. We need to let this one hang as well. If your giving to the needy, I'm talking about the church today, does not cut into your lifestyle in any way, you must give more. Oh, God. I read that this week. Let's be really frank. You think, I could buy a bag of shopping and I could stick it over there. But does that really cut into my lifestyle? Am I still going to do everything I was going to do before? If if my giving to the needy does not cut into my lifestyle, I'm not doing enough. Ronald Snyder, he wrote a book. Golly, I read the 20th edition, and that was 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? This, this guy, a, some would consider him a socialist, but I'm, I'm not trying to colour him politically. He's a Canadian-born theologian. He said this, The church should consist of communities of loving defiance. Instead, it consists of comfortable clubs of conformity. For the early church, community was not tea and snacks after the church, but an almost unconditional sharing of their lives with other members of Christ's body. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? If I'm really honest, I think I'd like to do it when it's convenient, when I feel in the mood for it. 
how we like as a church, genuinely loving one another. Today I'm preaching on the poor within the church. I always feel challenged myself. Please, I'm not trying to be harsh with anyone else. I'm just trying to say, come on, how do we raise our game for him? We've been singing, you're worthy of it all. You know, watch my heart. I want to give it to you. I want to surrender to you because of what you've done for me. Why don't we just take a moment right now. Let God speak to us rather than rushing on. I know we will come to breaking bread. We'll be so grateful for what he has done. He is the supreme example. Let's just take a moment. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you about your role in caring for the poor in this church? Father, we want to thank you that you don't condemn We want to thank you there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but you do convict. You don't leave us as we are. You want us to grow. I do pray that we'll have the courage to act upon this word. I pray we'll have good attitudes. I pray we'll be creative. I pray we'll be intentional with our time when it comes to caring for the body. Father, we thank you this agenda is on your heart. Lord, this whole series that we know we're going to be looking at, not just the church, but we're going to be looking at the nation. How do we get involved with poverty across our nation? We're going to look at the nations. God, what is our role? What is our responsibility for the poor of the world? God, we're going to be looking at our world. What's our responsibility there? God, we do ask that you'd give us courage to take this message from our head to our hearts, that our lives will be changed for you. In Jesus' name, amen.